is I personally have been praying about where the Lord is taking me and leading me. Um, I feel like he's been clearly speaking to me over the past uh, few weeks. And one of the things I want to be able to do is to help others find hope. Help others find hope. Help those who consider themselves hopeless to find the hope that is in the Lord. And I believe that that is a, a great challenge for all of us to be able to help others to find hope. And, and I want to be able to do it just one family at a time. And to, to find families that are hurting and struggling and say, hey, this is where you can find hope. And one of the ways that you find hope is by following Jesus. And one of the things I've been saying over the past couple of years, and I think I got it from Andy Stanley, is that following Jesus will make your life better and it will make you better at life. And part of that being better at life is that if you follow Jesus, you will have hope and you will have joy. And so as I look at the scriptures, these themes just keep coming to me. These are two themes. Two themes in the Bible. Hope for those who are hopeless and joy for those who are joyless. You see, I, I do think that as Christians, we should be the people that are able to give the gift of hope and joy to others as we point people to Jesus Christ. And in this series, I'm going to try to make very clear that joy is tied to hope, hope is tied to joy, and they go hand in hand. And so if you are a person of hope, you're probably going to have joy, and if you're a person of joy, it's probably built upon the hope that you have. One of the things that I've always loved about the Christmas story is in Luke chapter 2, when the angels say, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to see these themes in the Old Testament and see it in the New Testament so that we can understand just how much God wants us to have joy. Notice this passage in Jeremiah. And it's in 31. And it's, it's a passage that is talking about the goodness of the Lord. And how the Lord has loved us with an everlasting love, a consistent type of love. Notice what it says. It says, young women will dance and be happy. Young men and old men will join in. I'll convert their weeping into laughter, lavishing comfort, invading their grief with joy. You see, God's plan, even from the beginning, even in the Old Testament was that we could experience the happiness and the gladness and the joy. And yes, we're going to look. Life is full of problems and difficulties and hurdles and stressors and temptations and trials and all those things. But deep down, we need to know the character of God and his goodness. He wants us to experience his joy and his happiness and his gladness. The other day I was watching with Mason, um, we, we like American Ninja Warrior, and he's, got, he's found now there's American Ninja Warrior Junior. And there was this little kid, I think he was only 9 or 10 years old. And it was very interesting, he was talking about why he does American Ninja Warrior. And he started talking about his brother. 
And he, he basically said his brother is his best friend. He's a little bit older, a little bit weaker. But the main reason he was wanting to be an American Ninja Warrior was his older brother wears glasses. And because he wears glasses, he gets bullied and picked on at school. And I was thinking, what has happened in this world that we live in? That if you wear glasses or if you just don't look right or you don't act right, you, you, you get bullied or you get made fun of or you, get, you feel isolated. And we need to understand that what God wants for us is for us to experience joy in the midst of pain and difficulty and suffering. And that was true in the Old Testament, like this passage in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, again, was focusing on the goodness and the greatness and the awesomeness. And what we sung about this morning, the, the love of God, the reckless love of God that pursues us. And he says, we're going to be happy. We're going to dance. We're going to shout. We're going to sing. I, I find it very interesting in this passage. It talks about young women. talks about young men. Talks about old men, doesn't talk about old ladies. I don't know, maybe that was taboo even in that day. But notice, it's for everyone. The joy and the happiness and the gladness and the dancing and the singing. That was from the beginning, even thousands and thousands of years ago. That was God's design for his people. Notice what Jesus says. This is in John 15, it's in the story where he's talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches, and he's talking about having a relationship with Jesus Christ and remaining in close fellowship and intimacy with Jesus. He says, I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy, and your joy will be wholly mature or, or totally complete, or it'll be perfect. You see, Jesus wants us to have his joy. Just pause and think about that for a second. What type of joy does Jesus have? Well, it's perfect joy. It's awesome joy. It's, it's contagious joy. It's joy that, that exudes love and compassion and mercy and peace. And Jesus is telling his disciples, those that we're going to, follow him and we're seeking a better life a fuller life and to be better at life he's saying you can have my joy you can have my happiness you can have my gladness and it can be made perfect both the old testament and the new testament has a common theme god has created us for joy Here's what I was trying to understand. God created you for joy. God created me for joy. He created you for joy. If you've gone through that 40-day challenge, this is repeated over and over again by Tommy Newberry. He's like, God made you for joy. He created you. He designed you. He molded you. He wants you to experience his joy. Now, it's interesting. What is joy? Joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. It's very interesting that I was in the car with Mackenzie and I was asking her what her perspective on joy and happiness was. 
Because I've sort of grown up in the tradition, and I don't know if there really was some biblical support for it, but that happiness is based upon what's happening. But for us as Christians, we, we really need to have joy. Because joy happens in the midst of trials and temptations and suffering. It's something that is constant. It's something that's in our heart and in our core. And so as McKinsey was talking about joy and happiness, he was like, ah, I'm probably getting it all wrong. And I'm like, no, there's no wrong answer. I'm just trying to get where you're coming from and so I can understand better. Well, it caused me to do some deeper study. And what I started to understand that the scripture, when it talks about joy, it also talks about happiness. And that happiness and joy and gladness go hand in in hand. Here's what you need to see. This is a powerful picture. Notice what it says. God wants you to be happy, ecstatic, excited, grateful. He wants you to to experience gladness and delight and to be thrilled and enthusiastic and passionate and to have appreciation, to be thankful. God has wired us in such a way That we need to exude smiles and joy and happiness. Now, we get confused because we think, oh, happiness isn't for us as Christians. But it's very interesting. When you start studying older writers and reformers, they would often talk about that passage in John 15 or Jeremiah 31. And they would say, they would translate it instead of joy. They would say, God wants you to be happy and he wants you to be full of gladness. Charles Spurgeon, who, who, who was a great writer and preacher and communicator, he struggled with depression himself. And it was said that sometimes he would get up and he would start off his sermon and say, oh, happy people, oh, cheerful people. Oh, joyful people, I wish there were more people like us in this world that were happy and cheerful. God wants us to be joyful. God wants us to be happy. It's very interesting if you're trying to wrap your mind about, well, happiness is based upon what's happening and joy is based upon, you know, something that is in or something that a mature Christian has. It's very interesting. When it comes to the Hebrew word, 22 times, the Hebrew word uses a word for joy, happiness, gladness, excitement, praise, blessing, glory. And it's all the same word and it is used interchangeably. The Greek does it 15 times. And it's the same word and it is expressing a deep-seated happiness and gladness. Now, why am I spending some time on this, helping us to understand that joy and happiness goes together? Because I don't want anyone to be confused on what God desires for you. I don't want you thinking like maybe McKinsey was thinking, oh, I got it all wrong and I don't got it down the Christian way. Because I do believe deep down that the way that God has wired each one of us is that we can experience this joy and this happiness. 
Now, if you're like me, if God has wired us this way and God desires for us to have joy, he desires for us to have happiness and gladness, why isn't every day we whistling in the park full of joy? Why are so many of us, including myself, sad and depressed and confused and perplexed and angry and just frustrated with life when God has designed it? For us to rejoice and to be thankful. I call these joy hurdles. And I came up with four of them, and I'm sure there's more of them. Uh, Maybe these are just ones that resonate with me, but these are joy hurdles. And we're going to look at how we get over these hurdles, but the first one is complex relationships. Sometimes relationships get really messy. They get complicated. They get confusing. And it can be with a spouse. It can be with your children. It can be with an aunt and uncle. It can be with a cousin. It can be with a coworker. It can be even with somebody in church. It can be with a friend. It can be with a neighbor. Because relationships are so complex. And then you, and then you put in their addictions... You put in abuse, you put in isolation, you put in loneliness, you, 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 arguments and frustration and everybody out for number one. It makes life hard to smile and to be excited because relationships are so complex. I do believe somewhere along the line we're, we need to figure out relationships because if we can't figure out relationships, it's going to be hard for us to experience this joy that God has created us to experience. The other hurdle is hopelessness. Some may say it's sort of a grim future. You look at life and you say, there is no hope. There's no getting out of that relationship. There's no way that I'm going to get out of my financial problems. There's no way that I'm going to be able to succeed at work. There's no way that I'm going to be able to to move out of my neighborhood if I want to move out of my neighborhood. You just feel, everything just feels hopeless. It doesn't even matter if I open up my Bible anymore. It doesn't even matter if I go to church anymore. It doesn't even matter if I pray. I I just feel totally hopeless. My wife, Michelle, sometimes, she, she has described sometimes when she's gone through a difficult period in her life that it's sort of like a dark room and there's no door that you can even find to open up. I think it's a great picture and I've used that often because no one wants to be stuck in a dark room where there is no light and there's no opportunity to get out. Some of it's related to deep-seated anger. I'm not talking, you see, anger is an emotion. We're talking about emotions, joy and happiness and sadness is an emotion. Anger is an emotion as well. But anger usually is expressed, you know, right away in the midst of a conflict or a situation arises and you blow your top and you get angry right away. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a deep-seated anger because of the disappointments and, and the letdowns and 
the things just not working out in usually those relationships that are complex and, and it's deep-seated and you may not even realize it anymore, but you're carrying around so many loads of, of anger and disappointment and it becomes deep-seated and it becomes almost impossible to be able to smile and to have joy because the pain is so deep. And for some of us, it's resentment. It's holding something against someone else for something they did probably to you in the past. Or they did something that allowed them to appear like they, they took a step forward on you. And you're holding that against them. And so deep-seated anger and resentment can go hand in hand, but they're two different things. You see, the resentment that many of us feel is because we, we struggle with wanting to forgive someone. And sometimes this is called being petty. People sometimes are, are, are petty and they, they hold things against people that they, they just should have let go of a long time ago. So how do we get over these hurdles? And, and is there a possibility to get over these hurdles? And I believe Psalm 98 provides us an opportunity to get over these hurdles. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. And here's what we will see. The Psalm 98 is based on the hope in the coming king and the joy in the coming savior. The hymn, Joy to the World, as we sing it at Christmas, is really a song that was looking to the future because it's based upon Psalm 98. When Isaac Watts wrote this psalm, he was looking forward, and so he was being prophetic. And so today we want to look into the future, the prophecy of the coming king and the coming savior and what that will bring. But we also not only want to be prophetic, we want to be practical. Because again, we got these complex relationships and things to get through. So Psalm 98. Here's the first thing we need to see, and it's sort of nice. There's nine verses. Let's just break it up into three verses each. The title of Psalm 98 in my Bible says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Something that I'm pretty good at. So make a joyful noise to the Lord. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. You see, back in that day, all the nations had heard about the great acts of God, how he, he delivered them out of Egypt, and how the Jericho walls fell. And they had heard the stories about King David, and they understood that God was with the nation of Israel. Now again, when the psalmist wrote this, he, he wasn't picturing the New Testament and Jesus Christ as the Messiah and going to the cross and, and dying 
and the resurrection because all he could see was that God had promised that there was a day coming when he would deliver the people from all this depression and sadness and suffering and sin and sorrow. And Isaac Watt got very excited about it. He said, joy to the world, the Lord is come. The Lord is here. That was true 2,000 years ago when he was born. That's why, again, the angels could say good news of great joy for all people. And it's true not only in the future, but it is true today. The Lord is here. I could go over scripture after scripture that says that the Lord is near, that the Lord is present, that the Lord is with us. So what are we supposed to do with these relationships and hopelessness and anger and resentment? Here's my first suggestion. We need to ask the Lord for help. That isn't a deep theological answer, but it's practical and I believe it works. We need to ask the Lord for help. You'll notice in those three verses, the word that is repeated over and over again is salvation. It it means deliverance. It means that God will rescue us, that God will help us. Uh, Some of my favorite scriptures that I have memorized Like Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord is with us. He is a mighty warrior. He he will deliver us and he will rejoice over us with singing. He will save us. We need to ask the Lord for help. The Lord wants to help us with these messy relationships. He wants to help us with our anger. He wants to help us with our resentment. He wants to help us when we feel hopeless. And and I've been doing this um, Christian life for a very long time. And if you're anything like me, I I ask the Lord for help. But you know what I do? Then I try to figure it out myself. I I think I know better that, that actually I can be my own rescuer. I can be my own savior. I can be my own deliverer. When in reality... I need to stop and I need to say, Lord, help me. And how do you do that? Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's a shout out, Lord, help me. Maybe it's falling down to your knees and saying, Lord, help me. Maybe it's just in the quietness of the car and maybe you're in the car with someone you don't even get along with and just saying, Lord, I need your help. Maybe you're looking at your finances online and you're saying, oh, this is a mess. What am I going to do? You need to say, Lord, I need your help. Some of you are are writers and you you write things down. You just need to, to write it over and over again. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your help. I remember early on when Michelle and I were first married and I've shared when I worked in a drug and alcohol center, and one of the things I didn't like about my job, it was sometimes it was a night shift, and I would come home, and I would be so tired, and I'd be driving down I-69, which was a highway there in Indiana, and I'd be driving down I-69, and I'd start to fall asleep, and, and then I would go to bed when I finally got home, and I'd wake up in a panic and thinking I was driving off the road, and it was just horrible. 
And I wasn't, Michelle and I were just newly married and I wanted to get out of that situation and move into another. And so I was trying to apply James chapter one, asking the Lord for help. I was asking him for wisdom. And all the while, while I was asking the Lord for wisdom, I was trying to still figure it out myself. And I was trying to manipulate the system so that I could get my way and to get more into a day shift. But what I learned was a very important lesson from James chapter 1. That if you ask the Lord for wisdom, you better trust in the Lord's help. Otherwise, you're going to be tossed back and forth like the ways. And many of us, as Christians even, or non-Christians, we ask the Lord for help, but we really don't trust Him, and we try to figure it out on our own, and we're getting tossed back and forth. You see... When we cry out to the Lord for help, we take the focus off of our problem or our situation and we put our focus in on the Savior and the salvation or the solution. And when you start focusing in on the Savior and the solution and the helper, guess what? That that creates joy in you. I want to look at two quick passages. Psalm, keep your finger maybe on Psalm 98 if you're in the Bible or you're on your phone go to psalm 62 real quick psalm 62 psalm 98 the psalmist is looking to the salvation that is yet future psalm 62 david is in a present crisis and he's looking for the lord to help him notice what he says in 62 verse 1 for god alone my soul waits in silence You see, when you ask the Lord for help, sometimes you're going to have to wait. From him comes my salvation or my help or my rescue. He is my only rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I will not be greatly shaken. What's David saying? I'm trusting in the Lord to help me alone. And I wonder why David wrote so many praise and and worship songs and said, that he could trust in the goodness of God. Why? Because when he asked the Lord for help, he trusted that the Lord was going to break through. Another passage, you go to Psalm 121 if you can, or again, find it on your phone, find it somewhere, or write it down for later. Psalm 121. And I like to read this uh, to people that are caught in a difficult situation. And I I know I've spoken on it. I think Brian has even spoken on it before. Psalm 121 says this. It says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Think about it. You're asking the Lord to help you. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth. And he's the one that has created you for joy. And he wants you to experience joy. He says, he will not let your foot be moved. And he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on the right hand. Literally, when you see that word keeper, it's your protector, your helper, your deliverer. He's your savior. So you find yourself in a messy situation, ask the Lord to help. Say, Lord, help me. I I can't love this person. I find them unlovable. But I know as a Christian and a Christ follower, you want me to love them. So 
help me to do that. Lord, I, I, again, I can't get my finances figured out. Help me to understand how to do a better job with my finances. Help me to understand how to love my ungodly neighbor. All of those things requires the help of the Lord. Here's a second practical advice. Not only do we ask the Lord for help, but we shout to the Lord. Notice verse 4 of Psalm 98. Verse 4 of Psalm 98, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre and with a lyre and the sound of the melody. Which, that's something I know nothing about, by the way. It says in verse 6, With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. We need to shout to the Lord. It was interesting, back in the day, that was a popular song, Shout to the Lord. You remember singing that song, Shout to the Lord? I was going back and I was re-looking at the lyrics. It's basically, again, based upon joy to the world in Psalm 98. It's looking forward to this time when the king is coming. Now you may wonder, why, why didn't I say sing praises to the Lord? Because literally these sing praises and this shouting to the Lord, the way the Hebrew word would describe it, it's a warrior cry. It's a victory cry. It is, it's when you turn on, a, if you turn on a football game today and the guys are huddled in before the game starts and they all butt their helmets together and they're screaming at the top of their lungs and they're going to go out and do it. You see, when you come in to this place to worship it is about singing it's about shouting and the reason you sing is you're crying out to God again for his help and for the victory that he is coming to bring one of the things that that I've struggled with is that issue of anger and sometimes when I get angry I I do what is called scream therapy I don't know if I'm the only one that does this but scream therapy, if, if I'm at home and nobody's at home, I actually will scream at the top of my lungs right into a pillow, just in case my neighbors are wondering, is that the pastor screaming over there? Yes, he is. Okay, so I was like, but a lot of times my best place to get angry, it's, it's probably not good if I'm driving, but sometimes I'll just get in the car and slam the car and I just scream. And then sometimes I even pull on the steering wheel and I think I can rip that steering wheel right off. But you know what? Is that going to bring joy, screen therapy? It's not going to bring joy. What's going to bring joy is shouting to the Lord, praising the Lord, worshiping the Lord. I, I was thinking about this. When you think about joy and happiness and gladness and then we think about sadness and depression and anger and frustration I think it, it's impossible to be praising the Lord and singing to the Lord and still be sad and discouraged and frustrated you see I believe we, we need to come in and we just need to sing and we need to shout and we need to praise the Lord and we need to worship the Lord not only because he deserves it I believe it's good therapy for your soul. 
Not only did God create you for joy, God created you to worship him and to praise him. And as I read these three, three verses, these three lines in here, and as I look at it, what would it look like corporately to make a joyful noise to the Lord and to, to break forth into joyous song and to sing praises and, and to have the trumpet and the sound of the horn and the joyful noise? There's a lot of smiling. There's a lot of clapping. There's a lot of enthusiasm and excitement. Not because of the songs that are being sung, but because the Savior and the King is here. We need to shout to the Lord. The last one might surprise you. We need to do what is right. We need to do what is right. Notice verses 7 through 9. It says, and this is just an awesome picture. It says, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Not only has God created you for joy, he's created this world for joy. That's why Isaac wrote, joy to the world. Everything in the world, the physical nature of the world is designed to praise and worship God. But notice what it says. It says, before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. You know, earlier it says that his salvation, he brings his righteousness. I think the way that we can have more joy in our lives and experience the joy that God wants for us is by doing what is right. You know, basically there's just four areas of life. The area where, where we work, where we live, where we maybe study and where we play. And in each one of those, we need to ask ourselves, what is the right thing to do? You know, back in the day, what would Jesus do? We need to ask ourselves, what is the right thing to do? What would Jesus do in this circumstance? You see, if we start acting more like Christ in our relationships and doing what is right, I believe there's going to be more joy. If you go back to that passage in John 15 where Jesus said, I, I write this, that your joy may be complete, your joy may be full. It's on the heels of Jesus being the vine, we being the branches, and he's saying we need to obey the commandments of the Lord. And what are those commandments? That we basically love one another. If we do what is right in our relationships, if we do what is right with our finances, if we do what is right when it comes to our entertainment and our play, guess what? There's going to be more joy. There's going to be more gladness. And so I love this psalm. Even though it's future-oriented, it gives us a picture of what the world to come is going to look like. 100% help from the Lord. Complete and total worship and praise of God. And the new kingdom is going to be where people treat everybody right. And that is the joy of the Lord. I wrote down seven applications, and I'm just going to list these. And if you want to know them, come up and talk to me later about them. 
Here's some things that we need to do during this series. One, the 40-day joy challenge. If you haven't done the 40-day joy challenge, let me encourage you, Christmas, Advent would be a great time to do the 40-day challenge. There's a book out there by Randy Alcorn. He wrote a book called Heaven. He also wrote a book called Happiness. I would encourage you to pick up that book and understand the joy and the happiness that God wants for you. There's another book out there called The Emotionally Healthy um, Church. It's the Emotionally Healthy uh, Spiritual Life, and his name's Peter Scazzaro. Great book, will help you understand your emotions. Start listening to praise music, to worship, to whatever is gonna allow you to praise the Lord. I I know that I, I do that quite often when I'm in my office or when I'm preparing for a message, I listen to worship music and and it does greatness for my soul. And I would encourage you to think about our last series, Give Thanks. I think if you're generous, you're gonna have more joy. If you write a big check, you're gonna have more joy. Slow down, simplify your life. And last, if you don't like reading or any of that, Watch the movie Inside Out by Disney. Uh, And I'm serious. Watch it and talk about the emotions and where your emotions are at and how you can experience more joy.